0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Nancy Twine. She is the founder and CEO of Briochiwa Haircare. It's been dubbed the fastest growing haircare brand at Sephora, and it's now available at Ulta as well. She took a leap of faith and she left her high paying Wall Street job to become a clean beauty entrepreneur. She followed her dreams and created a truly transformational clean beauty brand for all hair types and textures. If you want to hear from Nancy, keep listening. And while I have you, I would love if you take a moment to subscribe to my podcast, then if you're loving it, leave me a rating and review. And just a reminder, I have new episodes every Tuesday. Now let's get into the episode. So Nancy, before starting Rio Gio, you had a very different career. Where did your career start?
1: Yeah, I had a very different career. I actually never spent any of my career time in beauty, but my first real full-time job was in finance. Specifically, um, it was at a major global investment bank called Goldman Sachs. And actually, prior to starting full-time, I I was a finance major at the University of Virginia, and I had done two summer internships at Goldman Sachs, and that's how I finally landed a full-time job there. But it was a really, really tricky time to land a job in finance in 2007 because it was the start of that uh, financial crisis. And it was a very scary time, but I learned a lot. I think I learned a lot more than I would have had I started that job in more of a kind of calm, stable environment.
0: And what from that job in finance have you carried over to now having your own brand? Yeah, it's so funny because. You know, what I
1: did back then is so different from what I did now. The subject matter is so different. You know, I wasn't working with retailers. There was nothing creative about what I was doing. But there were certain just life skills that I think allowed me to become a more smarter and strategic business person. You know, some of those things were, you know, learning how to manage relationships with clients. As I mentioned, my clients weren't retailers, but they were large corporations like Coca-Cola, General Electric, General Motors, Ford. And so just really learning the fundamentals of how to really support a relationship, understanding your client's needs, learning how to problem solve, learning how to negotiate, how to present. I do a lot of uh, presentations, as do you, as a founder. So just a lot of fundamental business skills that have allowed me to navigate my now job as founder and CEO of BrioGio just a lot more confidently.
0: And a job in finance is not easy. And also starting your company takes a lot of risk. So what is harder, a job in finance or starting your own business?
1: Definitely starting my own business. I mean, there, I, I don't know that there will ever be anything as profound of a learning journey as this one has been. I remember there was a period in which I was considering going to to business school because I thought it was going to really give me life experiences that I wouldn't get at a corporate job. But I don't really think that would have been the case. I think really being in something and really doing it from the ground up and being able to, you know not necessarily have the resources or the stability of a corporate job and everything is really kind of in your hands to create. I mean, that is really the ultimate kind of test of your own, you know, resolve, perseverance, smarts, all of that stuff. So certainly starting a brand has, has been the, the most uh, challenging, but also most rewarding um, experience of, of my life, to be honest.
0: And it's so risky to leave a financially stable job where you're doing well and go out on a limb and and start something because you believe in it. If someone is wanting to make a huge career change like that, what advice would you give them, especially if you're switching between industries? Yeah, it's so funny because
1: one of the things that I'm so grateful to be able to do now is to mentor other budding entrepreneurs. And I was actually talking to one of my um, mentees today about a similar question you know, she, she's in a, a very similar position that I was in and that I had a full-time job while I was getting my business off the ground. And one of the pieces of advice that I gave her is, you know, don't rush into it. Don't feel like you have to quit your job to start the groundwork of creating your own company. There's so much that you can do, you know, on your nights and weekends, you know, to take the time to be really, really thoughtful. Because it's a a big uh, leap when you leave a job lifestyle to start a business. And the more that you can do to try to get it off the ground, up and running while maintaining your full-time job, I think is really the safest way to go. Because one of the things that would have been really hard for me starting out is if I had the stress of trying to figure out how I was going to pay my rent, how I was going to pay my bills while not even having a revenue stream yet for my business. So the big advice that I give entrepreneurs is don't rush into it. Be very thoughtful about your vision, your business plan, your execution. And if that means, you know, kind of dual pathing and and working that full-time job while getting the business off the ground, so be it. But I think slow and steady certainly
0: wins the race. Absolutely. And then not having a background in beauty, how did you even figure out where to begin? Yeah, well, you know, it's so funny because
1: even when I started my job in finance and I had interned at the company for two years, the subject matter didn't like click for me that quickly. Like it took me a while to learn about commodities and you know, precious metals and crude oil and natural gas. With Briogio, it's been such a different experience because I am the consumer. Like I can, you know, do this in my sleep. You know, I, I've been shopping at Sephora since I was a teenager. I understand the beauty business just as, you know, being a consumer. So for me, so much of what I'm doing with Briogio has always felt natural to me because it's been something that I've naturally been passionate about. And the things that I didn't know, I was always very proactive about raising my hand and finding people I can ask questions to. And that's something that that I I really encourage budding entrepreneurs to do as well as to, you know, don't be shy, be proactive about building a network of people that can help to support you, to give you advice, to help open up doors and opportunities. Because the truth is we'll never have all the answers. And the more that we can really cultivate the, the right network, Um, and support system, the the further we'll go.
0: Yeah. And I think you've been so great about that, especially being active on clubhouse, like in the last few weeks, since you've been on, I feel like you've been giving such valuable information and you're being such a a great source of, of information and not trying to hoard it for yourself. And I love that clubhouse and everyone that are on there, they're just being so open. And I feel like it's, it's a different time to be an entrepreneur. Even a few years ago, I don't think founders were being as giving with information as they are now.
1: Yeah, and I, I've got to tell you, Mariana, and I—I I think you would say the same thing. I mean, a big key to being successful is just having an abundance mindset. This is an infinite world with infinite possibilities and resources. Being able to help other people, I think, only strengthens your ability to do great things with your life, with your career, with your entrepreneurial journey. So the truth is that there's more than enough to go around. And the more that you can share and help other people, ultimately, you know, just everyone wins, including yourself.
0: Do you ever feel like you need to take a chill pill? If you said yes, please, then try Zen Fuels chill pill supplement, Zen Chill. With two capsules a day, you can finally get the support you need to get calm and carry on. Zenfuel uses extracts that not only make you calm, but boost focus with traditional Ayurvedic herbs such as ashwagandha, water hyssop, and the intellect tree. And what's so cool about Zenfuel is they're all about being a holistic wellness brand that focuses on radical transparency from farm to bottle and helping people with a more balanced life. And for the days that you need a boost of energy, try Zenfuel's ZenCest Energy Supplement. And if you're trying to cut back on caffeine, this one in particular has a potent amount of green bean coffee extract, which enhances mental clarity, mood, and focus. I love that their ingredients contain zero additives and ZenFuel's founder traveled the world sourcing the most potent Ayurvedic ingredients to ensure each supplement is packed with ingredients that do what they say they'll do with zero fluff and 100% plant-based. So between running our beauty line and my podcast and being an influencer, I guess you can say I'm overwhelmed at times, and the last year definitely did a number on my stress levels. So if you're stressed too, I get it, but there's something that you can take and you can add to your toolbox for the days when you need a little bit of help. So try Zen Chill in the afternoon. Zenfuel also has their well-known sleep supplement, Zen Sono, and I'm really excited to try that one next. Zenfuel is giving you 25% off your first purchase using the code Mariana at checkout. Just go to Zenfuel, that's dot com, at checkout and use code Mariana for 25% off. That's Zenfuel.com, Z-E-N-F-U-E-L and Mariana for 25% off. Now let's get back to the episode what should aspiring beauty entrepreneurs keep in mind when they're starting to work on formulas and reaching out to labs? Because if you've never made a product before, you don't want to get screwed over by somebody just because you don't know how to read a contract. Or you're, not, you're not sure of what minimums you're, you're signing up for anything like that.
1: Yeah. you know That's a really uh, tricky piece of you know, starting a beauty business, especially if you don't have the background of being in the industry. Um, Because there are a lot of nuances around, you know, contract terms, who owns the formula, you know, how does the pricing change when you scale to higher quantities? What are the quality, you know, procedures that the lab maintains? And that is something that if you don't know it, there's not really like a guidebook to to show you or to tell you uh, what to look out for. And that's really where that mentorship piece comes in finding people who have done it successfully and and putting together a list of questions that you can ask to help navigate some of those things, I think is very important. But one of the aspects of, you know, dealing with manufacturing that has come up recently for someone that I mentor is, you know, your cost today for your products should change over time. Because when you're starting out you know, you're running a lower quantity because you're still, you know, running your business. But I think it's really important to upfront get pricing on higher quantities from your manufacturer upfront. Like you should know, okay, maybe if I'm producing a thousand units a run right now, it's gonna cost me $5 per unit. But how much does that cost go down over time? Like, can I get that cost down to $2 a unit? having future visibility into what your cost structure looks like is very important. One, so that the manufacturer doesn't take advantage of you. You shouldn't wait until you get to that 10,000 piece run to try to negotiate a price. And then also two, so that you can really plan for what you know, future profitability of your company looks like, because the truth is on you know, year one, year two, you may not be profitable, but as long as you have a path to profitability, that's what's key.
0: That's really, really good advice. And you did such an amazing job, I think, because you have that finance background, but then you also have this consumer background too. So you're like the perfect mix of these two worlds to be the CEO and creator of this business. And when you started Briogeo, I think what made it so unique was these unique formulas. You thought about scalp care, you thought about hair texture and ethnicities and backgrounds and different types of people. So when you were creating the brand of Briogeo, what was like the philosophy in your mind of these formulas?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. And I'm so glad that early on I put together a business plan because I know a business plan kind of sounds like this dated thing, but to me, essentially a business plan is a vision board. And I think the only way you get to conquer your dreams in life is having a clear vision for what that looks like and, and how you're gonna get there. And for me, that was my business plan. And that was an opportunity for me to really do a lot of soul searching, um, to define what is gonna make Briogio different? What is important to me that Briogio carries out? What am I passionate about creating? And um, there were a couple of really core pillars that I launched Briogio with that are still true today. So the first one is our six free methodology. Um, so there are dozens and dozens of ingredients that we leave out of every single BrioGio product, but there were six commonly used ingredients in hair care that had been linked potentially to either environmental or health concerns. Um, so things like sulfates, um, silicones, parabens, phthalates, DEA, synthetic dyes. So we really honed in on those six most commonly um, used ingredients. And I made a vow that I would never put any one of those ingredients in any BrioGio product. So that's how we started developing a framework around clean. Another thing that I was really passionate about was products that were not only clean, but were effective because the truth is, and I'm a beauty consumer, I only want a clean product if it works. If it doesn't work, I don't think I'm going to spend the money on it. So we did a lot of work really early on to invest in claims, to really back the efficacy of our products. Another aspect that was so important to me was the idea of hair care, care for all. And I'm so fortunate in that growing up, I had such a diverse group of friends because I went to a very diverse middle school and high school. And when I created BrioGio, I didn't want to create a brand that was just for me but I wanted to create a brand that all of my friends could use no matter their ethnicity, no matter their hair texture type, orientation, any of that. And so it was really important to me that I created products that would work for different hair texture types, but that we always centered our marketing and content around celebrating the unique identities of our of our clients. So those were some really core fundamental aspects of the brand. And then lastly, this idea of really formulating hair care the same way that you would a really good skincare product. So there was this acronym that I coined back in the early days called uh, NOVA. And NOVA stands for natural oils, vitamins, and antioxidants, which are ingredients that you typically find in really good skincare. We put them inside of every uh, BrioGio product and we still do. So those are some of the core fundamentals and we've continued to build upon that. But I truly think that that's what makes our brand really unique and and really stand for something.
0: Let's break for a moment to talk about the seasons changing and moving into a new time of year, spring. Something about moving from cooler temperatures to sunnier days brings on a feeling of new beginnings. I love spring in Los Angeles, and here it means enjoying a shift to warmer temperatures and feeling really energized by a new season. It also is the perfect time to shift my wardrobe from cozy layers to spring fabrics, dresses, and floral prints that really remind me of the spring season. And Other Stories is a spring-style destination with collections from three ateliers based in Stockholm, Paris, and Los Angeles, and I've already picked out some pieces to wear as I transition my wardrobe into a new season. There are three different cities that inspire their collections. The Stockholm looks are a minimalist dream, inspired by the city's reawakening after a long winter. The Paris Atelier offers an effortlessly feminine look with romantic prints and silhouettes. The LA collection captures the confidence, glamour, and bright outlook of a California girl just like me. And my personal style is a mix of all three, so their pieces match perfectly with my aesthetic. And Other Stories invites you to discover new wardrobe treasures this spring. Get inspired and create your own signature style at stories.com And for a limited time only, take 15% off your entire order on stories.com with the code Mariana. That's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-A for 15% off your entire order on stories.com. This offer is valid in the United States only. I can't wait to see how you style your looks this spring. Now let's get back to the episode. You know, I love the products. I talk about them all the time and you have an amazing assortment. The two of them that really stand out to me as like iconic products. And maybe because I've, I've used them the longest is the Don't Despair Repair Deep Conditioning Mask and also Scalp Revival is incredible. When you're creating products like this, what do you think make them become a bestseller or make them an iconic product that really stand the test of time?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. And I I probably have different answers for each of those products. Those two are not only my favorite products also, but those are our number one and number two selling products. So it's been really exciting to to see that. But for the Don't Despair Repair Deep Conditioning Mask, I think one of the reasons why it's really successful is not only is it clean and efficacious and has won a handful of Allure Awards and lots of great accolades, but It's such a universal product that truly helps to hydrate and repair and bring out the healthiest hair in all hair textures and types. And a couple of years ago, I was actually um, at a meeting and there were um, two women at the the round table. And one was a white woman with blonde, straight hair. And then the other was an African-American woman with 4C coils. And they were both like, oh my gosh, this mask is my holy grail. And when I heard them both say that with such distinct hair texture types, I mean, I got kind of like warm and fuzzy on the inside because I was like, that is exactly what I was trying to do. I wanted to unite people under the same brand and have them feel like the products work for them because it works for them. So I would say for Don't Despair of Hair, it's the universality of the product. And then for Scalp Revival, really what i was solving for there was really white space innovation i suffered with really bad eczema growing up that wasn't only on my body but it was also on my scalp and when i would go to the dermatologist it was either you know steroid creams and shampoos or you know things that were over the counter that had not so great ingredients in them and i was so confused as to why you know over the years there wasn't a clean alternative to effective scalp care. And then also too, that there wasn't, you know, scalp care and pretty packaging. It was like always this thing that people didn't really want to talk about. So I set out to kind of fill that white space void within Prestige Hair by launching a clean um, scalp solution that was effective and, and backed by clinical data.
0: And when you launched the brand, did you launch
1: with Sephora? I did. So it's so funny because I, I, I told the Sephora merchants the story um, a few times because Sephora was actually the reason why I quit my job at Goldman Sachs. Because I mentioned earlier that I had kind of dual path my way to entrepreneurism by maintaining a full-time job in the beginning. But once I got that call, that really changed my life. Um, by having the opportunity to retail my brand in a dream retailer like Sephora, um, I quit my job and that was um, in April of 2014.
0: And I think it's so incredible to be able to do that. And I know new aspiring beauty entrepreneurs have a dream of being at Sephora or Ulta, Target, Walmart, all of these places. But I think You want to be ready too when you go somewhere because going to a big retailer, you have to really be prepared because you have one shot really to launch with them. And so, is there any advice you would give to them? Of you know, if you're going, if you want to go to a big retailer, what like ducks do you need to have in a row before even presenting? Yeah,
1: Um, and it's funny because I gave some perspective on this recently for someone who wanted to you know pitch an investor. And I would say whether it's a big box retailer or it's an investor, because you have to raise money. It is so important that you come correct with your presentation. Um, The beauty landscape has changed so much over the past few years. There's been a lot of new entrants to the beauty category and the bar is high. I mean, the way brands launch today is so different from when I launched my brand. I actually mentioned on a clubhouse recently that when I launched Briogeo in 2013, I didn't even have an Instagram. Like it was that different. And so whether it's a retailer or investor, I mean, have your deck really together, understand and be able to articulate what is your mission, what are your brand values, what makes it different, what's your ingredient story, um, what is your distinctive, you know, packaging methodology, what's unique about the formulas, articulate that so clearly and so confidently and pair it with incredible visuals and be able to present it in a way that's really compelling. And if you have data, um, if it's product reviews or clinical trials, anything that is supportive of what makes your brand unique, why it's special, why retailers or investors should be interested, include all of that. But you should feel really proud of your presentation deck. And when you put a really good foot forward, I think it really enhances your chances um, of success by incredible amounts.
0: I totally agree because I think there is enough room for everyone and there's so many great brands popping up now, but it is very competitive. So whether you have a platform of a hundred people or you have a platform with a lot of followers already, there's room for everybody. And I think just being creative. And so either with the ingredient story, like you said, or packaging or whatever it is that makes you different, that story now is so, so important. Absolutely. It truly is. Taking a break to tell you about Skillshare. If you're spending a lot of time at home, we may as well make the most of our time. I've spent a majority of my free time in the last year learning how to better myself, new skills, and watching online classes. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning, and there are so many classes to explore online that will help inspire and empower you to accomplish your goals. If you're a creative like me, juggling it all from home can be so hard to manage. So try the Productivity for Creatives Building a System That Brings Out Your Best Class by Thomas Frank. Or if you're trying to step up your Instagram content, try video for Instagram, tell an engaging story in less than a minute with tips how to plan your shoot and style the shots. You can also find classes in entrepreneurship, productivity, and more. Skillshare is incredibly affordable with an annual subscription at less than $10 a month. Use my link, Skillshare.com slash life for a free trial premium membership. That's Skillshare.com life. Because no matter what 2021 brings, you can spend it creating something meaningful. Now let's get back to the episode. And you recently launched at Ulta, which is so exciting. And I love that they have so many stores available. Why was it important for you to expand retail into Ulta?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this has been another huge milestone in my journey of, of running uh, Briogeo. But Ulta is just an incredible retailer. I mean, they offer such an enormous selection of very curated, fantastic brands. They're in parts of the country that, you know, Briogeo was unable to really tap into in the past. And I think for me, one of the real exciting things is that Ulta has a salon presence. It was always a dream of mine to be able to bring uh, Briogeo to salon, but we really never had the resources to do it. And actually, right now, we're doing a five-week takeover at the Ulta salon and it has been so incredible to see stylists using Briogio products and their clients hair, and the incredible feedback and what an impact that we can make and really um, being a part of that, you know, stylist journey. So it's been such a huge milestone and I'm, I'm so excited for the opportunity to be partnered with Ulta.
0: And the products are so amazing. If you guys haven't tried them yet, I think I've talked about Don't Despair Repair since I met you, which was I think yeah. in like 2017 or 2016. So I've been using the product for a long time. And if people are new to the brand, where are a good place to start with a couple products they could try? Yeah, I think
1: you named really two of them. Two of them that I would have named. Um, so definitely the Don't Despair Repair Deep Conditioning Mask, which is a weekly or biweekly treatment, um, to maintain the health, the resiliency, the strength of your hair. Um, scalp care is so so important. You know, when you think about the products you put on your hair and your your scalp, um, the fact too that you know you probably wash your face once or twice a day, but a lot of people don't wash their hair and scalp every day. So when you do go for that wash, it's really important that you're using something to get rid of that dirt, oil buildup, dead skin cells that can cause you know problems over time if you don't uh, treat your scalp well. So the scalp revival micro exfoliating shampoo. It's kind of like a facial for your scalp is a huge recommendation. I love the farewell frizz leave-in conditioning spray, especially when I'm doing a blowout really helps to create that sleek, smooth finish. And then lastly, you know, so much of healthy hair really is an inside out game. Um, it's not just about the products that you use, but it's about your inner nutrition profile. Um, A lot of people don't realize that, you know, your hair is often the last recipient of the nutrients that your body has to give. It prioritizes things like your organs and other very important internal parts that keep your body running optimally. So if you don't have enough nutrients, then it's very likely that your hair follicle may be deprived of the vitamins and the minerals that it needs to really create a healthy hair environment. So a couple of years ago, we launched a vegan, three, six, nine Omega healthy hair supplement to do exactly that, to help ensure that your body has the right amount of nutrients to be able to feed your hair follicles after it's fed all of the other important parts of your body. So I highly recommend the supplement as well.
0: Yeah. It really is like full body and holistic when it comes to beauty. Even when I know like my hair, skin, nails, if I'm eating better, I know all of those things, you know, function better too. And so if you think about your hair, it's growing from the inside. So supporting that in the best way. And so I love that you are looking at hair holistically and offering these other products now too. And when you're thinking and creating these other products, how do you diversify amongst your products while still staying true to the brand?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because I've always been a believer in, you know, not wanting to give the client anything that they don't need. Like I don't believe in just launching SKUs to launch SKUs. Everything has to have a purpose. And, you know, as part of our commitment towards creating a diverse array of products that serve and cater diverse care needs, um, we've really created um, different franchise collections that do exactly that. So don't spare repair for Clients that have dry or damaged hair, scalp revival for scalp needs, curl charisma for curly, wavy, coily types, et cetera. So we have a handful of franchises now that really hone in on the specific and unique hair needs of our client base. Um, All of those collections have a uh, shampoo and conditioner and a finishing product. Sometimes they'll have multiple finishing products, but we're very, very thoughtful about not launching things unless it's truly something the client needs to, you know, maintain and achieve their hair goals.
0: Yeah. I think that's so important. And, and when you started the brand and launched back in 2014, 2013, was it a slow build at the beginning? And what was it that really helped the brand grow in the early stages?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because a lot of people may not realize that it, it was a slow grow for us. Um, I remember early on, you know, I had this intern and you remember there was one month that I feel like we didn't get one purchase order. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Is this is this what failure looks like? And, you know, we just held on and it was definitely a catalyst that pushed me to say, you know what, I think we really need to take marketing up a, a notch. One of the things that we did do early on that was such a success for our brand, it's something that we still do, is we invested a lot in sampling. Especially when you're a new brand, there are people who are reluctant to try something that hasn't been you know, tried and tested by many before. So being able to get samples in the hands of prospective clients is a really great way to convert um, new loyal clients. And then, probably three or four years after we launched, we started you know really discovering that there were a handful of um influencers that were talking about our brand organically and quite consistently. And it was really moving the needle for us. And from there, we started to make some strategic investments and influencer partnerships that we felt were really authentic because the influencer had already been using our product. and it was just a matter of you know, now compensating them for all of that loyalty. and and trying to amplify it in a bigger way. So I would say, you know, the mix of, you know, sampling and influencer marketing and then obviously really our fantastic partnership with Sephora has been so paramount in helping to amplify our brand story to, you know, hundreds of thousands of of beauty consumers.
0: And how do you balance, you know, between retail and direct to consumer because it is a balance and I feel like you don't want to push one too much because it takes away from another one and it's such a struggle of, of where to spend your time and focus on, even with influencer marketing, it's like, are we driving to a retailer or are we driving to our own site?
1: I think it really all starts with uh, business strategy and, you know, what is your ideal mix of business? Some people may say, Hey, for me, if I have a direct consumer business, that's 25%, I think that's healthy. That's what I'm going to aim towards. Some people think, you know, 50% is that number. But I think every business has a different strategy. And once you pinpoint what that you know, distribution strategy is, then you can kind of solve for where you're allocating your dollars. So if your mix is 50% D to C, 50% retail, then that's how you're allocating your, your marketing dollars and, and kind of where you're pushing towards each. If your D to C is 25%, retail is 75%, then you probably should be driving about 75% of your investment money towards the retailers. So Um, I don't think that there's a magic equation. Um, It's really a case-by-case basis for what you want your business strategy to be, and then you create your mix accordingly.
0: And then if you're a new brand too, between sampling and if you can do some small paid influencer marketing, like overall, what percentage do you think a new brand should be spending on marketing? Like 10%, 20%?
1: Yeah, so just anecdotally, from what I know in the industry, the range is you know, 10 to 25%, with 25% being kind of what brands who likely are funded are spending in the earlier days, um, because you're spending more in the earlier days to really build that audience and to build that momentum. And over time, as your brand is really developed, you can actually scale back on that marketing spend as a percent of sales for a couple of different reasons. One, your sales are a lot larger, so 10% of 10 million is a lot bigger than you know 25% of 1 million, for example. Um, but the idea is that you know, especially when you're in the beginning, having a you know larger percent of sales marketing budget makes sense.
0: And what I love about you too is you are such a hard worker, but you also I think do a really good job of balancing and self care and. I remember pre-pandemic, I saw you go to Arizona and you, you do a good job of that. So how do you balance, you know, being a founder, a CEO, having multiple retailers and still managing to have a life in some sort of balance at the same time?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. And we're so similar, Mariana, because I, I recall you mentioned that you were an ambivert. I think that's how you say it.
0: <laughs> and, yes. uh,
1: which is like 50% extroverted energy, 50% introverted, uh, energy, And for me, that balance is so important. Like if I have days in which I'm doing like podcasts or videos or whatever all day, I will be so drained by the end of the day. Like I can't do anything. Or if I don't have much to do all day, I kind of start to go stir crazy. So because I know that about myself, I try to balance my days um, accordingly. So perhaps I have some, you know, 50% is kind of solo work that I'm doing independently. And then 50% are things that I'm doing a bit more outwardly, but that helps me to really preserve and maximize my, my energy. That's kind of one. And then I have a couple of just rituals that I like to do that. I think really put me in a great mood and help to kind of counteract any stressful moments in the day. Um, and a big part of that is just exercise And I will be honest with you, there are some days where I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like going to the gym. I just want to lay here for like another 30 minutes. But I always go back to how good I feel afterwards. And I always think too about like my vision and, you know, how I want to feel and how I want to look. And that kind of is the motivation for me to, to keep that up. I have started meditating more. I'm actually in the process of getting certified as a mindful um, meditation instructor.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that! I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Actually, right after the pandemic started and we moved to to virtual, you know, it was really hard for a lot of my employees, especially employees that you know maybe had multiple roommates and were kind of all in the apartment together kind of talking over each other on Zoom calls. It was just very stressful. There there was just a lot going on. And and obviously people were concerned about their families and their friends. And so I started offering twice a week um, a meditation class over Zoom for employees that were interested in just kind of, you know, having a break in the day to kind of relax and find some calm. And I really loved doing it, even though I didn't really know what I was doing So one of my friends, she runs a meditation organization and they were hosting a certification program. I was like, oh, the stars have aligned. So I just kicked that off in in January, but that's another way that I find uh,
0: balance and calm. That's been really helpful for me too. I tried a bunch of different apps and I was I was trying to find different things that work for me. And over the holiday break between Christmas and New Year's, it's like that awkward week of like, what are we supposed to do with ourselves? So yeah. I took a transcendental meditation class that week. And now I do it twice a day, 20 minutes a day, the first time of the day, I'm pretty good. The second time, it's like a little bit of a struggle to like actually sit down and do it. But it's the same idea of what you said about working out. I feel so much better after I do it, even though I'm kind of dreading doing it and getting into it beforehand. But I feel like there's so much that is thrown at us during the day that just taking a few minutes to just sit down, breathe, relax. It just I feel like it makes me much more calm through everything else that, that gets thrown, uh, whatever we have to do. Completely.
1: And I'm so glad you're doing that, Mariana. I I know a couple of people that do Transcendental and it has been so profound for them. And you're right. That's the thing. Like at the end of the day, we do have the time. I probably spend at least an hour a day scrolling Instagram on Clubhouse, other apps, checking my texts. And it's like, if we can find time to do that, we can certainly find the time to meditate.
0: So it's just, it's all about priorities and discipline. For sure. And I know you said that you're working on getting you know, certified there, but what are some of your other future personal goals outside of work?
1: Yeah. Um, well, one of, one of the things that I'm really excited about, so I'm, I'm actually an advisor to the um, Sephora Accelerate cohort, which this year is focused on um, founders that are creating products that are geared towards women of color and I've been able to meet so many incredible budding entrepreneurs that have fantastic business plans and business models. And um, I've actually been mentoring um, a handful of them. And I I just realized like how much I love doing that, how much I just love helping people and and finding solutions to their challenge. And I'm hoping that at some point in the near future, I can start investing in some of these brands because. Someone actually shared um, a statistic with me that it's crazy, but something like only 93 black women in this country have received an investment of over a million dollars. And I was like, wait, what? That's crazy. That is so insane to me. And I just, I've been so fortunate in that I have, you know, found a lot of success with my business. And I truly think that there are a lot of people that I can help you know, create similar success, whether it's through scaling their business or finding, you know, the right investors. And so I really want to do more of that. Something that I'm really, really, really passionate about, especially for groups of people that have been challenged in that way.
0: Absolutely. And anyone listening, if you're on Clubhouse, follow Nancy on Clubhouse, because I feel like you give so much great information on there. And I hope everyone learned so much from this episode. And definitely pick up Briogeo from Sephora and from Ulta. Available at all stores, right? Yeah, available
1: um, at all stores um, throughout the U.S. And yes, I would love to connect with you. My handle is at Nancy Twine, T-W-I-N-E, both on Instagram and Clubhouse. And Marianne is absolutely right. Um, I'm doing more sessions to really help support entrepreneurs and inspire others. So if you're looking for that, please do
0: come join
1: the conversation